Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. We are in week three of a series we started a couple of weeks ago called Pursuit, where we are talking about what it looks like to pursue Jesus with everything we've got at the beginning of this decade and the beginning of this year. And uh, I've really enjoyed this series over the last couple of weeks. Um, if you missed it, and maybe today's your first time, uh, I'd invite you to go back and check out some of the sermons from the previous weeks. In week one, we talked about what it looks like to leave the past behind and to chase down God's future for us. And uh, we talked about not camping, refusing to camp. I had a tent on stage. It was so much fun. Uh, not camping, just the sermon part. Um, but then uh, last week, my wife preached on a subject that I think, in, at least in my world, she is the foremost authority on. Uh, she is such an intercessor, such a prayer warrior. And uh, I think it just bleeds from her heart every time she talks about it. So he talked about, or she talked about, he? No, she talked about uh, what it meant to knock, knock, knock on heaven's door and to ask and to seek and to knock and pray with all the passion you've got to see breakthrough in your life. And uh, if you're like me and prayer is maybe one of the more difficult disciplines in your journey, really invite you to go back and check that out. Maybe listen to it a couple times. I, I promise it'll help out your prayer life. Um, but today we are going to dive into a subject that I am immensely passionate about, uh, something that has become such a, a big part of my Christian journey in this walk of faith. Uh, I want to talk to you about fasting today. felt like a Niners game right there. Did you hear all the excitement and the anticipation? Yeah, yeah. That's pretty much what I expected when I said I want to talk about fasting. There's a lot of sermons that I prepare for any given Sunday where I just know I'm like, this is going to be a fun one to preach. The people are going to love this, right? I mean, we're going to talk about grace and freedom and joy and blessing. And then there's fasting. Like, there's no way to dress fasting up. You can't make it sound fun like, fasting, huh? Not eating food? Sounds great. Like, I get it. It's not, a, it's not an exciting subject to talk about. I feel a little bit today like my job description is to sell you something that nobody is interested in purchasing. <laughs> Anyone ever been to a timeshare presentation before? Been to one of those? Yeah, I'm, I'm the guy in the khaki pants with the Tom Bahama shirt tucked in, and I'm trying to convince you to buy something. And I know, and you know, we all know, but no one's really saying it, that the only reason you're here is to get the free golf or the massage or the gift certificate to the restaurant. You're laughing because you've done it. Exactly. Yeah, we've all been there before. Uh, well, yeah, and I understand that. Fasting is, is not a fun subject to preach about. It's even less fun to practice. But I promise you this, fasting is one of the most powerful spiritual weapons that we have access to. The Bible says in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, or maybe swap those. No, yeah, that's right. Uh, that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but that they are powerful and they are mighty to bring down strongholds. There are certain things that the Bible commands us to do or asks us to do that don't make sense to the human logic, but they are incredibly powerful in the spirit. Like it does not make sense for you to stand in a room like this, lift your hands and worship when you're walking through hell on earth. But that is a powerful spiritual weapon to worship. It does not make sense to wake up earlier than everybody else in your household and crack open a 2,000-year-old book and read it, but that is a powerful spiritual weapon when you begin to read it and declare it over your life. And fasting is one of those illogical, powerful spiritual weapons that God has given to us. It will bring breakthrough in your life in ways that you've never imagined. And so my job today, if I could over the next couple of moments, is to inspire every single one of us 
to fast at some level. We're gonna jump into this next week and I'll share in just a moment what that looks like. But to, to prayerfully consider adding this to your spiritual arsenal, practicing this on a regular basis in your life because I know it will bring breakthrough like you've never seen before. Uh, let me start with the what and then I'll give you the why behind fasting. Uh, the what is this. Starting tomorrow, uh, Monday, uh, we're gonna be jumping into a seven-day all-church fast ending next Sunday. Uh, exactly, that's about as exciting as it's gonna get, all right? So Sunday, or excuse me, Monday through Sunday. Now it's important that I tell you the days because last year we said Sunday to Sunday. And if you count those, it's actually eight days. And I had a lot of very angry people that I accidentally said seven days, but they went eight days. So from Monday to next Sunday, we're gonna jump into an all church fast. And I, wanna, I want you to prayerfully consider jumping in at some level. Uh, I'm not asking everybody to you know, not eat for the next seven days. Uh, some of you might just give up a meal. Maybe you give up a couple meals of day, a day. Some might do liquids for a period of time. Others maybe just do a Daniel fast and no meats and no sweets, but do something. And for the record, just because it needs clarification in this day and age among millennials, um, fasting actually does mean not eating food, okay? Just to clarify, all right? Like there's some people I'm at like, oh, I think, thank you. Yeah, I got a little hanky waving back there. Yeah. So you can't fast like media. You can't fast music. Okay. Those, those are, that's not fasting. I remember years ago, um, we were doing a, a 21 day fast at our church uh, that we came from. And there was a bunch of interns that had given nine months of their life to pursue the call of God. And they were like, you know, this disciplined crew, like we're going to run after Jesus with everything. So we start this fast. And uh, I walk into the church offices about halfway through the fast. And when I walk in, there's this like, this air freshener of Chick-fil-A, like in the offices, right? It's just like, the whole place smells like Christian chicken. And, uh, and I'm like, are they piping this in through the vents or where is this coming from? And so I walk in to the break room and there's a bunch of our interns in there just chowing down on Chick-fil-A. And I'm like, yo, I thought we were in a fast. Like what is happening? You're not just ruining your own life, but all of us. Like we all have to smell this while you're eating it. And I kid you not, this is what one of the girls said to me. She said, oh, I'm just, I'm just fasting social media for this fast. I'm like, you freaking millennial, like whatever. Like you cannot fast social media unless you are eating your phone or eating your computer. It's not fasting, all right? So to clarify, it does mean not eating food. All right, just throwing that out there for consideration. Now to help you in some level, uh, we've placed a resource on our website, uh, tfh.church on the homepage uh, or on our app on the resource button. There's a, a, a resource called A Guide to Prayer and Fasting, and it'll give you some practical uh, applications, some practical points about fasting, different kinds of fasts that are available. But again, just prayerfully consider doing something over the next seven days. Um, also, while we're fasting, we'll be continuing to go through this resource that I know many of you have jumped in on with us, uh, this Pursuit 21-day book, uh, Devotional to Prayer and Fasting. And uh, I want all of us to start on day 15 tomorrow. Uh, if you have like maybe fallen behind or you just bought it last weekend, don't worry, they're not sequential. But I, I think it's, uh, it's super powerful when a group of people decide to read the same thing, pray the same thing, chase down the same thing at the same time. God begins to move in an atmosphere of unity like that. So if you have not yet gotten one of these, uh, I think they're 10 bucks. They're in the lobby. Um, there's probably a few left from the first service. Uh, if you can't afford it, that's fine. Just ask them for one and we will give you a free copy. We just want to get it into your hands. However, we need to do that. So take advantage of that before you get out of here. And I think that's all the practical stuff. Did, did I miss anything? You were here the first service. No. Okay. I'm good. All right. Let me give you the whys. I'm going to sell you a timeshare for the next couple of moment, uh, moments. And uh, I, I believe that the Holy Spirit can inspire all of us to jump in at some level for this fast. If you're taking notes, the title of this chat is take it to the plate, take it to 
the plate. Uh, let's pray and we'll get in. Jesus, we love you this morning. I thank you for your nearness. I thank you for your presence. Uh, I thank you that you are the one that calls a group of people like this to step into a season of pursuit and fasting. It's not uh, a human or an idea. It is the Holy Spirit who draws us into these seasons and it's because you have something for us on the other side of it. And so we ask over the next couple of moments that you would speak to our hearts, inspire us to chase you down over the next seven days and help us to see breakthrough in our lives like never before. And Father, we contend right now for the Niners today. Let it be a day of victory in the great name of Jesus because we need a winning team in this city. Amen. Okay. Uh, let me ask you a little uh, audience participation today. How many of you have ever received a gift or maybe you tried something out for the first time that you had no idea you needed before? You might've even thought it was like unnecessary or frivolous, but once you tried it, once you experienced it, there was no way you could ever do life the same again. Like you had to continue to use that thing, do that thing. That ever happened to anyone else before? Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm traditionally a bit of a skeptic when it comes to new products or new stuff. And, you know, people try to, to sell you the doTERRA essential oil people. They're like, this will change your life. Or, uh, you know, the new blender or the new workout program or uh, the new supplement. I, I, it's my type eight challenger personality where I'm like, okay, just go sell that to somebody else, please. I'm not interested. But somebody gave me something a couple of months ago that has completely changed my life and there's no way I can ever do life the same after experiencing this. Um, many of you know, I've mentioned uh, in a sermon before that my wife and I are kind of connoisseurs, bougie, if you will, when it comes to our coffee. We really like good coffee. Uh, I, I like an African roast, somewhere from the, you know, the southern region of Africa. Uh, just, it's very floral. It just tastes, some of you are judging me right now. That's fine, whatever. Like, I just like good coffee. And uh, we like coffee so much that when we were living in a city there was, where there was no good coffee and no good coffee shops, we took it upon ourselves to literally open up a coffee shop and source good coffee because we were tired of drinking the deer urine from Starbucks every single week. So. <laughs> We, we opened up a coffee shop and we sold enough just to introduce some culture to this city we came from. Uh, but a friend of mine, knowing how passionate we were about coffee, uh, well, maybe about a year ago, uh, I was preaching at his conference and as a gift, he gave my wife and I a couple of things that completely elevated our coffee experience. I introduced to you uh, the Ember Mug. Now, this is no ordinary overpriced black mug. Uh, this is a game changer for your coffee drinking experience. Uh, thank you, Smarty. Uh, some of you who've been to my house and have seen us use this have since purchased one, and now you know how much of a game changer this is. Um, unlike traditional coffee cups, this particular coffee cup has the ability to keep your coffee at a predetermined temperature for an extended period of time. Hours, one might say. Instead of going back and forth eight, nine times to the microwave to nuke the cup of coffee until it doesn't taste like coffee any longer, this piece of technology synced with your phone allows a coffee to stay at 130, 135, 140 degrees, whatever you choose for hours on end. And if you still have not yet finished your coffee, you can place it on a saucer and it will stay that same temperature all day long. Do you think I have a career in this? I think I might. <laughs> this thing is amazing. My wife and I use these every single day. In fact, we have been known to bring them on trips for fear that if we don't, we might revert back to the plebeians we once were, drinking coffee from a ceramic mug like the rest of the people on the planet. And so this thing has changed my life. I use it all the time. And, and having now drank coffee from the Ember mug, there's no way I can go back to life as I once experienced it. 
I can't go back to the regular coffee cups. I can't put my coffee in a thermos like some kind of homeless person in the middle of the desert trying to figure out how to drink. No, I have to, I have to have this. This is how I drink my coffee now. Now, for some of you, the only thing that you're gonna remember about this entire sermon is that you're gonna go home and buy one of these products right now. Like, I get that, okay? <laughs> like, I'll get, I'll get text messages after the sermon. You're like, not, hey, how was this? The sermon was great, it changed my life. It'll be like, hey, what was the name of that thing one more time? I gotta, I gotta go buy that. Like, and so I get it, but I'm okay with that. There are certain things that happen to you, products you experience, things in life where once you've tasted of their goodness, you're never the same again. Certain things that once they happen, you can't go back to life as usual any longer. And I wanna to submit to you today that fasting, when applied to your life, as ridiculous as it is to draw an analogy between a coffee cup and a spiritual principle, if, if fasting becomes a part of your spiritual journey, you will never look back again. It will change the way you chase down Jesus. It will change the way you interact with him. Fasting for me has become such a regular, necessary part of my life. In the same way that I can't imagine doing life without that, I, I cannot imagine trying to walk this journey with Jesus without embracing this spiritual discipline of fasting. I can point back to seasons in my life where there was confusion and God brought clarity in the middle of a fast. I can point back to seasons in my life where I couldn't hear God, but his voice became so much clearer. The unctions of the Holy Spirit became obvious in the middle of a fast. Patterns in my life where I had asked God for freedom and I hadn't seen it yet, but through fasting, God broke some chains off of my life and I began to walk in new freedom. Fasting has been such a regular fruitful part of my life. And having seen that, I can't go back to the way things once were. Once you see that kind of fruit in your spiritual journey, you have to continue to pursue it. And so I wanna offer you a, a single thought today regarding fasting. I started with three, because we all know that Jesus loves a three-point sermon. Uh, and then it turned into two because the content was too much. And as I unpacked this single thought, there was, just, there was so much here that I wanted to, to talk about that maybe we'll get to another one next week or something. But this single thought, if you walk home today with just this thought and it stirs your faith to jump into this fast at some level, I believe that I've done my job and that the Holy Spirit has spoken to you. So if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Here's what I wanna talk about today regarding fasting. Fasting deepens our faith and it destroys unbelief deepens our faith and it destroys unbelief. If you read through the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the stories of Jesus, here's what you'll find. Often, Jesus is criticizing his audience, his disciples, his hearers, for not having enough faith. He often addresses unbelief in the hearts of people all throughout the gospels, and rightfully so, because as you look at some of the things that Jesus did, it would be assumed that faith would be stirred in the hearts of every single person that either witnessed it or heard about it. Like Jesus opened blind eyes, he raised the dead, he healed the sick. One day when there wasn't enough food for a multitude, he multiplied some kids lunchable and made like enough food to feed 20,000 people. Like he, he was miraculous and everywhere he went, people saw his miracles. But yet, it wasn't enough to convince the crowds or convince the doubters. Often, people would ask him to perform a sign, to do something else, to prove he was who he said he was. So Jesus was often found saying, where was your faith? Why don't you believe yet? To his disciples, when they were in the middle of a storm on a boat and they'd seen God or seen Jesus silence the storm once before, the second time, literally the same, the same ocean, the same situation, he's like, guys, 
You saw me do this once before. You know that I'm able to quiet the storm. Why don't you believe yet? He criticizes time and time again. But despite the consistent criticism, rarely do we see in scripture any kind of antidote for unbelief. It's just sort of like, you should have known better. Like, come on, guys. You've seen me do this stuff before. I've seen you move. Like, we should, we should know better by now. But there is a, a story, a single story. It's in three of the Gospels that I want to dive into today where Jesus, I think, gives us a key to address unbelief and to stir faith in our hearts. And, and, and it does tie in to fasting. If you have a Bible, uh, I want you to open up to the book of Mark chapter nine. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, don't worry. We're gonna throw this on the screen. But here's the setting. Jesus is, uh, he had just descended from the Mount of Transfiguration. And he's got a crowd that's gathered around him because they know, hey, Jesus is in town. Something, something exciting is gonna happen. And one of the guys in the crowd begins to call out to Jesus. It says this in Mark nine seventeen. Uh, one of the men in the crowd spoke up and they said, teacher, I brought my son to you so you could heal him. He's possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and he grinds his teeth and he becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. And Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Always a great response when someone brings you their sick kid, right? You faithless sucker. Okay. Bring the boy to me, Jesus said. So they brought the boy, but when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. So casual, right? Someone just manifesting in front of you. How long has this been going on? Like, that's weird. He replied, since he was a little boy, the spirit often throws him into the fire or into the water trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean if I can, Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. And then Jesus rebuked the demon and the boy and it left him. From that moment, the boy was well. And afterward, the disciples asked Jesus privately, why couldn't we cast out that demon? Because of your unbelief, Jesus told them. I tell you the truth, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. But this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Now, a lot there to unpack, but I want to hone in on this thought of unbelief. There are three occasions in this particular passage where Jesus accuses people of not having enough faith, of living with unbelief. The first, as the father brings his son to Jesus, he, he tells Jesus that he's invested already some prayer time with the disciples. He's like, hey, I brought my son to the guys that are supposed to be able to do the miracle stuff that you've told them they can do, but they didn't cut it. Like, I went to the farm team, now I'm going to the pros. I went to the, to the employee, I need to talk to the manager because this is not working. Like, they didn't, they didn't work, so can you do something about this? And Jesus throws an entire generation of people under the same bus with a single statement. He's like, you faithless and unbelieving generation. If I'm like a part of the crowd that day, I'm a little offended. Like, I didn't bring anything to Jesus, but he's throwing me under the same bus as this guy. Like, no, I believe I'm here. That's why I gathered around at the bottom of the mountain. Like, I believe that you can do something. But Jesus points out unbelief in this sweeping way to say, everyone doesn't have enough faith. And then as the story goes on and the father begins to plead with Jesus, he says, although I brought him to your disciples and they couldn't do anything, I believe you can. Can you help me? Are you able? 
And Jesus now addresses his attention to the Father. And he says, what do you mean if I can do something? Of course I can do something. I'm Jesus. I can do all things through me who strengthens me. Like I'm Jesus. I, I am more than able to address this situation. The question is not whether or not I'm able. The question is, do you have enough faith? Do you believe? And then the story goes on and the disciples are alone with Jesus and they ask him, Lord, why couldn't we pray for this guy and see the demonic thing lift? Like what, what happened? And Jesus said, because of your unbelief. I say, if you had faith, even the size of a mustard seed, you could speak to a mountain and that mountain would be, would be moved, but you, you just didn't have any faith. Three times, the crowd, the man, the disciples, it seems that everybody in this situation is lacking the faith necessary to see a poor boy delivered. Yet in the midst of this recorded story in scripture and in the midst of an atmosphere of unbelief, there is a statement that this poor father makes that I think every single one of us could resonate with. A, a statement that whether we've articulated or not, we've all felt before. As this father is standing between his problem and the one who can fix his problem, Jesus asks, do you believe that I can do what you're asking me to do? And the father replies, I do believe, but help my un." Belief. Come on, let's be honest today. How many have ever been in that situation before? I believe, but I've also got a little bit of doubt right now. I've been in that situation so many times in my life. Jesus, I believe that you want to build a great church in the city of San Francisco, but I've also seen the track record of some churches that have come here help my unbelief. Jesus, I believe that even though my wife and I have been trying for the last two years to have a child and we've been unsuccessful, I also have some doubt in my heart that we're ever gonna be able to conceive, help my unbelief. And now that I've had those children, Jesus, I believe that they're gonna be saved one day, but help my unbelief. And on down the list. I think all of us can resonate with this guy. We've all been in this situation before. I believe, but there's also some doubt mixed in there with my faith. I'm not quite sure that my confidence is there. I, I'm, I've heard what people have said. I sang the song, I prayed the prayer. I sounded confident when I declared that it was gonna happen, but ugh, there's still some unbelief in my heart. Maybe you are in that situation today. Maybe you've done the same thing this father did. You prayed, nothing happened the end of the service, when we have all the prayer people come forward, you brought them forward to the disciples and the disciples prayed and nothing happened. Then you're like, well, maybe the pastor will work. So you brought them to me or your situation to me or we prayed and turns out I'm no good either. <laughs> and nothing has changed. And you've come to a place of desperation like this father did where you're bringing it again before the feet of Jesus and you're like, I, I've tried everything. I don't know what else to do. Can you do anything about this? And if you're there today, or you will be, just buckle up on this journey of faith. You're gonna find yourself in that situation many times. I believe that Jesus's response to us will always be the same as it was to this man. What do you mean if I can do anything about this? Of course I can do something about this. I'm the one who spoke the universe into existence. 
I'm the one with the word who separated the land from the sea. I'm the one who took the dirt of the earth and formed you in my hands. Anything I declare shall come to pass. My ability is not in question here. The question is, do you believe that I can do what you're asking me to do? And I think if we're honest, most of us would likely respond as the father did in this story. And like we have probably so many times before, I believe, but help my unbelief. And if you're there in that particular situation today, let me suggest that Jesus gives you the answer. He shows you what to do with your unbelief and how to address it in just a couple of verses after that plea as the disciples approach him in a setting alone and they ask Jesus, why isn't this thing changing? Why weren't we able to speak to the demon? Why wasn't I able to see the job? Why wasn't I able to see the healing? What's the issue? Here's what Jesus says to his disciples and I think what he would say to us. Because of your unbelief, Jesus told them, I tell you the truth. If you have faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. But this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Let me dive into that in our last couple of moments together. Many have read this particular scripture and I think they've misapplied it. The application has been, okay, when Jesus said this kind does not come out but by prayer and fasting, he's speaking about this particular kind of demon that the, that's living inside the young boy. There's a certain kind of demonic oppression or demonic force, a demonic force that does not lift except for by prayer and fasting. If I pray more and if I fast more, then I'll have the authority to speak to certain kinds of demons. In fact, there's entire denominations that have bought into that theology because only certain people who pray and fast regularly, the spiritually elite, the pastors, the leaders, are the ones who have the ability to lay hands on the sick and pray for them or pray for those who need the demonic oppression to lift. That, that exists in a lot of different mainline denominations. But let me explain to you why I believe that that is a flawed logic and it does not align with scripture. When we pray for someone to be delivered, or when we pray for healing, whose name do we pray in? Jesus. Oh, you can say it together. This is like Sunday school. Whose name do we pray in? Jesus. Good job. Jesus is always the right answer. You can always throw that out there and it fits for everything, all right? Yeah, we're praying in the name of Jesus. When Jesus told his disciples to go out and pray for the sick and to set free the oppressed, he said, pray these things in my name. When you use my name, the demons will flee. When you use my name, healing will come. But it's, it's important you understand it's in my name that you're praying. When, when I pray for people, I do not pray in Tim's name. First of all, that'd be super weird if you came up here and I prayed for, I pray in the name of Tim. Like, you'd probably be worse off than when you started if I prayed in my name, all right? We're not gonna do that here, that's awkward. But Jesus' name contains power. It says in the book of Philippians that at the mention of his name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the glory of God the Father that he is in fact who he says he is. His name can change some things. His name can shift some things. So to suggest that there's something I can do in my flesh to make the name of Jesus any more powerful than it already is, is to put faith in myself 
and not in the one who is doing the healing or doing the delivering. It is to say, if I fast a little bit more, if I pray a little bit more, if I try a little bit harder, then suddenly demons are gonna respond better to me? I'm sorry, that's not how it works. I pray in the name of Jesus for people to be delivered. I pray in the name of Jesus for healing to come, not in my own name. So Jesus is not suggesting here that you become more spiritually elite or you have more power when you fast. It is his name and his name alone that will bring breakthrough and freedom and healing and deliverance and provision and everything else that we need on this planet. It's the name of Jesus. Furthermore, in this passage, when Jesus makes this statement, these kind do not come out but by prayer and fasting, he uses a Greek word that is never used when addressing exorcism or a demon leaving somebody or coming off of somebody. That's a completely different Greek word than the word he uses here. So if Jesus is not talking about a certain demonic force or a certain sickness being what comes out but by prayer and fasting, what is he talking about? Rewind back to the very beginning of this verse. What does he say? It's because of your unbelief that you were unable to accomplish what you wanted to accomplish. This kind, unbelief, does not come out but by prayer and fasting. What Jesus is addressing here is an issue that is bigger than your issue. An issue that's bigger than the sickness an issue that's bigger than the singleness, an issue that's bigger than the lack or bigger than anything you're facing, he's addressing the core, the root of it, which is unbelief. And he says, this kind, unbelief, the very thing we need to address if you wanna see breakthrough in your life, it will not come out but by prayer and fasting. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. Unbelief comes out by prayer and fasting. Let me explain to you how. Back to our, our main thought. Fasting deepens our faith and it destroys unbelief. Here is how fasting will deepen your faith and destroy unbelief in your life. Most of the time, we operate in the natural. We operate in the flesh. We see life through the lens of our human experience. The Bible calls it our human nature and so does Michael Jackson. It's just the way that things work. We're called to be people of faith, to see the, this world through the lens of scripture, to believe that things are not the way that we see them. We call those things that are not as though they are. Like we speak to situations that make no sense and we declare in faith that there's victory and that there's healing and we, that's how we're called to see the world. But often, because of what we've seen, it's difficult to see through the fog of our fleshly experience. It's difficult to believe the spiritual realities when the natural realities are staring us in the face. In the natural, terminal diagnosis ends in death. In the natural, irreconcilable differences end in divorce. In the natural, no one gets magically set free in one moment after 20 years of addiction. But in the spirit, Jesus already paid the price for our healing. In the spirit, a union that God has brought together, no one can tear apart in heaven or on earth or below the earth. 
and in the spirit, one moment in the presence of Jesus can erase 20, 30, or 50 years of addiction, and God can set you free because that was the very job description that Jesus came to the planet to accomplish, to set free the oppressed and to open every prison door. Those are spiritual realities. That's not just some kind of hype speech to get you go, yay, on a Sunday morning. That is the reality and the promise to every believer that calls upon the name of Jesus. But often, that's a reality that we have a hard time seeing and an even harder time experiencing. Why? Because our eyes are feasting on what we see in the natural. We see sickness end in death. We see marriages end. We see hearts broken. We see prolonged seasons where prayers don't get answered. And rest assured, whatever we feast on with our eyes will begin to flourish in our life. If we feast on the natural, unbelief will begin to grow like the monster that it is inside our hearts. But when we fast, we feed what is normally starved and we starve what is normally fed. When we fast, we take away from the flesh what it normally gets and we begin to feed our spirit man. Every moment where we get hunger pains in the stomach, it reminds us to call out to the name of Jesus. Those lunch breaks that were usually spent feasting become a moment where we spend time in the word and we worship in our cars or we just spend this period of time chasing after Jesus and feeding our spirit man. And just as it is in the natural, so it is in the spirit. Whatever you feed will ultimately flourish. And when your spirit begins to get fed, rest assured that doubts and unbelief will begin to melt away along with the pounds that you want to lose in 2020. But suddenly you begin to see things from a different perspective. Suddenly God begins to get bigger and bigger and bigger and your perspective shifts about the situation that you're facing because your spirit is getting the nourishment it needs to truly flourish. Faith is stirred, faith is deepened, and your doubts and unbelief get destroyed in the midst of a fast. And I'm gonna just go on record and suggest that that's probably what a lot of us in this room need today, is a fresh perspective on our situation. Some fresh faith as we look at it. You've tried everything else out there. You don't need another program, you don't need another system, you don't need another shot at it. Here you are in the middle of that situation. Perhaps it's time to try something a little bit different. I know it. I've had the conversation. You tried every 12-step program out there, tried every dating app out there. You even got a little worldly and you tried some of that CBD oil to fix the situation. I get it, all right? <laughs> Maybe it's time to stop trying to fight your battle in the natural and in the flesh, and it's time to start deploying some of the spiritual weapons that God has given you access to because you know that the natural ones haven't worked up until now, and it's just going to be crazy to continue to try those things again in the future. Maybe it's time to wield something that is more powerful. It's mighty to pull down strongholds. It's powerful to demolish every demonic oppressive force that's coming against you. Maybe it's time to take the fight to the plate and to see some breakthrough that you so desperately need in your life. Rest assured, God is still able to fix your situation no, longer, no matter how long you've been facing it. He's still God. He can still heal no matter how many times you've knocked and it hasn't happened yet. 
He can still provide. He can still set free. He can still bring your application to the top of the stack. That job can still be open to you. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that he's able to do what he says he will do? And if there's any doubt in your mind, maybe it's time to start feeding your spirit so that your faith can align with the promises and realities of God's word. I invite you over these next seven days, jump in at some level, address unbelief in your life. Don't live in the zone of doubt any longer. Let God stir your faith. Let me ask you as the band comes and we close, what, what is it? What do you need faith for? What, what is that thing in your life, like the father who brought his son back to Jesus, what is that thing that you keep bringing before Jesus over and over and over again and you're waiting for breakthrough in? Take that thing to the plate. I had a friend years ago who uh, jumped into a fast with us and um, he, he was praying for a couple of big things in his life, some physical healing and a situation in his family, a lost family member. And I remember him telling me once that he would, uh, he would go every morning in the middle of that fast and he would take a plate and he would set the plate out on the floor in his little prayers area of his house. And he had made a list of all the things he was asking God for breakthrough in. Breakthrough in his family's life, breakthrough in his life personally. And he set that list on that plate and it became the target that he would pray for. He walked around it like the Israelites walked around Jericho and he got down on his knees like, like Hezekiah did and he, he began to pray God, would you, would you see these prayers? Would you, would you break through in areas where I know it's impossible in the flesh, but it is possible in the spirit? And he can point back to that season in his life of fasting, to the moment where God brought clarity, God spoke, and God brought breakthrough to situations that up until then were impossible. What if, what if we did something like that over the next seven days? What if we denied our flesh what it so desperately wanted and we fed our spirit and we prayed like we've never prayed before for breakthrough in some areas. We prayed for our city. We prayed for our families. We prayed for our health. I wholeheartedly believe that God wouldn't just hear those prayers, but that he would respond. Why? Because he's a responder to those who diligently seek him. He can't, he can't deny the heartfelt cry of faith. It's, it's like intoxicating to him. Let's become that church this week. And I, I know that this is not an exciting thing. Like we're going to all know God, we're going to not eat. Yay. Like it's not exciting. But man, I think the atmosphere next Sunday as we come back into this place and we've been praying all week is going to be something that all of us are exciting to excited to experience. If I told you that you could do something for seven days that would change the next 17 years of your life, would you do it? Absolutely you would. Who knows, this might be the season God's inviting you into something that will shift the next decade or two of your life. If you just set aside some time and say, I'm gonna seek you with everything in me and I'm gonna believe that you're gonna get rid of unbelief so I have fresh faith for this season, amen? Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.